There aren't a lot of folks I feel like that go from sales to to venture. Well, especially from an IC role, like straight. Yeah, from exactly. IC. Typically, it's you know. Thanks it's, for the dig there. Okay, the gloves just came off. Let's go. <laughs> I'll be honest, I still don't fully believe you, but hey, we'll take your word for it. That's some royalty-free shit, people. That's what we do. We are back again. I'm Puyan from Scratchpad. And today we've got Corp with us. It's Corp. We're calling. Corp. It, we're going with Corp today. Yeah. We're going with Corp. We're super excited to have CAC with us. And there's so much that we're going to unpack Legend. together. And your story is, uh, I don't even know the full story, but just the little bits that I've heard is truly incredible. So we're really excited that you're here. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. When did you decide that inside sales was was your thing? I can guess history degree. Actually, yeah, there you you have a point there, right? So I did. I went to Princeton. I did the like non practical. I became a history major. Which what do you do with that? I guess you become an academic. But for someone who didn't really love school ever, why I became a history major to become an academic? Like you know, there's not a lot of logic in that sequence. So I did run professionally for two years for Nike after college. So that was the equivalent of sort of my, like, I'll go go be a ski bum, but maybe like with, uh, but with the sickest uh, orientation, what's that with the sickest gear ever. I mean, I was a baseball player and we were, we were Nike athletes and all we wanted was just more Nike gear. Insatiable appetite for Nike gear remains continuous. Um, but no, then I went and I was an investment banker because what do you do when you graduate college? You either go to law school, go to med school, or like go work at an investment bank. As far as I was concerned, there was no other, really other career track. And so I worked in investment banking. However, I worked in investment banking in the fall of 2008, which as you recall, you know, the market Lehman collapsed about two weeks after I started working. So Ouch. I did investment banking for a little while. And then I realized that investment banking is just sort of a like intermediary job where you work on deals and it's not like super fulfilling and fun. You're shattering the dreams of so many MBA students no, right you now. You learn Excel, which is a Ooh. key skill for life. Um, however, your question was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. your question was why, you know, why the calling to inside sales. And what I realized was I wanted to go work at a company where the coffee mug was like my brand and it stood for something and we made something. Yep. You've got your coffee oh, mug ready um, on deck. It's not my branded one. That was a mistake. I figured I wanted to go work at a really big company because I could apply it to a smaller company. And I wanted to work in a core function. And as we discussed prior, I was ineligible for engineering or product. Uh, <laughs> hard skills, mar- mostly. Marketing didn't resonate and I didn't know what operations was. And so sales seemed like a perfectly adequate entry-level job. Um, and so at the time, now this was 2009, Oracle was renowned for its sales training. Okay. So you, you found your way to Oracle because that was the beacon of sales. Pinnacle sales training. Yeah. And I mean, it was a career like, well, nosedive for what some of my college classmates would have considered. You know, all my college classmates were in New York with like fancy job titles. And I was an inside sales rep selling Oracle databases, making, I mean, I won't quote the dollar figures, but like insignificant sums of money. At what point did you say, you know, I've had enough of sales? Right. So I did Oracle for a few years. Then I went to Cloudera, which was sort of the, you know, go work at a startup and appreciate that there are more vendors than just Oracle price list of 14 pages. I wasn't sure I wanted to just rise the ranks of sales. I would be lying if I didn't also admit that 
there was some family pressure. I was like the deadbeat that didn't have a graduate degree. You know, my sister went to law school and so did my mother and my father. And so there was a little bit of like, okay, when you grow up and like have a real job, you know, that's probably going to happen after business school. I was familiar with venture capital from working in banking. So I, I think I had like the secret dream of working in venture, but I didn't really want to let on to anyone because venture jobs are few and far between. So I didn't really want to broadcast something that I was going to like utterly fail at. You decided, okay, maybe venture is the right path. Did you know at that point that venture is just another sales job? No, with that clarity, I did not. At what point did you realize that? And was that an oh shit moment? Like, what did I do? Or was it, okay, I got this. No, that was a, oh, this is amazing moment. Her parents aren't mad anymore. (laughs) Parents parents off the back. (laughs) No, I think, so I did a summer internship in venture between my first and second years of business school, converted it into a full-time job. So when I started full-time, part of the job of a non-senior person, whatever your title, because there are a plenty, uh, is a lot of it is a sourcing job, sourcing deals, right? Sourcing opportunities. And it's a combination of that and then sort of deal execution. Did you find that your prospects were more amenable to your calls when you're kind of trying to say, hey, we'd love to give you explore, maybe giving you a few million bucks or whatever, <laughs> you know, yeah. versus like, hey, you know, know. 50K I for a PROCA database. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah create the, get the budget from them. That summer that I said that I interned at a venture firm, I actually had two internships. I left on a Friday from a startup internship, which was like, a walk in the woods. And then I started on Monday at a venture firm and the hit rate on my outbound emails from Friday to Monday, Monday, where my email address was at venturefirm.com was like 10 out of 10, (laughs) zero out of 10 on the Friday before. So yes, it turns out when you're selling money, people generally respond. It's an interesting path because there aren't, there aren't a lot of folks I feel like that go from sales to to venture. Well, especially from an IC role. Like yeah, exactly. Team. Typically, it's, you know, Thanks it's for the dig there. Okay, the gloves just came off. Let's go. <laughs> Was that a dig? I know. I mean, it, it's true. Like, I think a lot of sales people, no, it's true. Yeah, they glorify the VC world and they want to get there. And they're just like, usually for them to get there, they have to be at some high level where they've got where they've done something like personal investing on their own and like, have mm-hmm. to sell their way into that role. Um, so no, no, I think that's like a jump that a lot of people wish they could make but can't. You know, obviously, I'm, I'm running a company now, and I feel like I'm I have the you know, very very fortunate position to have folks involved in as investors that have actually operated before, have sold, have run sales teams, and I can tell you, it is a world of a difference when you're talking to somebody that that fundamentally gets it. Um, and there do seem to be more and more companies. I, I just I think go to market is becoming more important even earlier in the life cycle of companies, and so I think to have folks that uh, that understand that and have been there before makes such a big difference. Um, at least it does for the founder. I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm less stressed. I don't feel like I have to educate them on what sales actually means or what go to market means. When marketing became data driven, it elevated its status, right? I don't know if that was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but maybe sales can have its moment. I don't know what the transformation needs to be, but for it to be a more glorified function. We're working on it. Well, I, I, it's an interesting point because I, I think in some places, sales, like you were saying, is still kind of a, a dirty word or like it just has a negative connotation to it. I think it would take two and a half million dollars in a writer's room and let me go make a show about it so that it's no longer Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, old white guy car sales. Yes. It's more millennial Gen Z, like people who went to college type sales, which is what it actually is. Mm-hmm. Yes. People literally just don't 
they don't know that. Yeah, so we, we, we've got a lot of educating to do. And I think the other fascinating thing or really interesting thing is the, the entry point that I think some of the most successful people in sales have is not deliberate. It's not that, I, oh, I, I even knew about a B2B sales or I wanted to go do that. It's mm-hmm. I really didn't know what else to do. I kind of fell into it. And then I realized, oh, yeah, like I'm at I where I fucked up. Yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> what I thought where I thought where I fucked up. I actually didn't. I've landed somewhere where I can apply my skills and may, honestly make, make, make a, a lot, lot of money, money yeah. learn. Um, and so I think approaching it from that perspective would be would be interesting. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know when that moment will be. Maybe when when what Ross just described is live and it's available on Netflix and yeah, but it's going to happen. I mean, yes. I think I, I didn't know I was doing sales at Oracle until day one, until my first day of Sandler training, like business development. I like to develop some business. I just didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that meant cold calling. Yeah. Usually we, we, we have folks share some pretty crazy stories and I, I don't know which episodes you listen to, but um, in sales, it's generally not hard because there, there are some interesting stories that come up. Um, so I'd be curious if there's anything you can share either from sales. And, I, and, if you're, and if you can, I would love to open the door on how that then translates into this crazy stories of venture, because we know there are some crazy stories there and, and none of those are really being put out into the open. I mean, crazy stories. What kind of crazy stories? Um... I think Ross can start. Well, there was the guy at Oracle who got fired for expensing uh, his client entertainment at Gold Club in San Francisco. Tried to put like 50 grand and expense it. <laughs> to be fair, he did close like a multi-million dollar deal. Uh, we had some. We had a sales manager get fired for duct taping his reps to their to their chairs and then the phones to their hands. <laughs> so they would stop like fucking around on the other floors. Um, there was like a liquor cart that got pushed around. It's not that crazy. It was what happened after that that got weird. But like, I, I feel like at least, and maybe you, maybe you feel like this, Oracle of like the 90s was just a different beast than like okay, Oracle of the 2000s. Zero caps on accelerators. I mean, yes. I think they made... Yes, the reps were making millions and millions, millions of dollars. Millions, truly millions of dollars. Um, no, crazy from Oracle. No, I mean, crazy to me from Oracle is that some of my colleagues from 2009 are still there. Um, that is crazy. That that is mind boggling. Complacency is kind of nice though. Sometimes why does one leave one venture place to go to another? Like, is it literally the same exact friggin' thing at a new place? You just, I ideally make more money or have a title change. We think startups are different. Venture firms are a whole different amount of different. That's not a very good sentence. Um, no, but I liked it. So continue. Please say more because I don't know. I think we need to know because I don't know. Venture firms differ, obviously, in terms of, well, venture capital is not one thing, right? Venture as distinct from private equity suggests that venture right. is one thing. Venture is many things. Venture is pre-seed and seed. And that's like high volume and high intuition and ton of on the ground work helping founders, which is distinctly different from late, late stage growth equity, or in IVP's case, you know, mid to late stage, um, that's, I might need five or 10 companies a week, not 25. Um, and our level of engagement with a given company, we just work with very, you know, a ton fewer companies, so you can give a lot more. Um, those are completely different jobs. So venture isn't one thing, that's for sure. Uh, I think, so firm to firm, you have different fund models, right? You might invest, you have a $100 million fund versus a $2 billion fund. Those are going to be different. Right. 
But I think where they really differ is these are partnerships for the most part, not C-Corps. So it's a combination of personalities. And the output of a venture firm is decision-making, right? You're just deciding yes or no, should we spend more time with this company? Should we invest in this company? Some heavy ego management is what it sounds like. I mean, it's a lot of EQ with a lot of IQ, you know, like theoretically very bright people are focused on. (laughs) I love how you qualified it theoretically. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, IVP, everyone's very, very, very bright. Um, (laughs) You can close your door and say that again if you want. So We all know the truth. It's cool. (laughs) Firm to firm, the dynamics can be very different. I'm, I'm thinking about this from from the perspective of, okay, if I'm, if I'm in sales, I don't know much about venture. I work at a company, whatever, we just got some funding. But as you're talking about the fund sizes and stages, is it like SMB versus mid-market versus enterprise? Yeah. If you, if you overlay startup company land onto venture, uh, different venture firms, different stages, styles, scales, like have different product market fit. What is strategy? It's making deliberate choices of what you do and you don't do. Product market for, for us is not pre-seed. It's not seed. It's not pre-product. Like we're interested in taking the risk on can you scale the heck out of your business? So I wasn't intending on talking much about venture or the investing world on, on this session, but I, just given your experience and the path you've been on um, and, and, and combining that with this thread that we've talked about quite a few times, where folks are buying, you know, it, they'll raise a lot of capital, hire up their scale the sales team only to have to let them all go a year or two down the road. What is your take on what the heck is happening right now? That hasn't been a theme for me. Not not like let's raise a bunch of money, hire a bunch of people and then fire them all because it's not working. Certainly that wouldn't be our suggestion. You know, back to your prior point of like investors opining on what people should do with go to market, having never done go to market themselves. Like I try not to give too much advice, but for them, you know, I would generally suggest, you know, let's start small and like test a few sales pods before we hire a hundred people. No, but I think, I think what you see, it's not so much like that you fire a hundred reps because they weren't successful. It's that the company still has its best year ever, best quarter ever. And all the reps are failing by like metrics of quota. The company from the high level is like, oh, great. We're killing it. But people are not killing it on an individual level. Yeah. No more sales reps making a million dollars. Yeah. True. Um, yeah, and some of that you do see at the board level because you have the board approved plan, you have the company approved plan, and those are different. And like the optimal, you know, boards for the most part are sort of ruthless. And the optimal, they're not actually looking for a hundred percent of quota carriers to hit quota. Like right. for them, success is like fifty-five, maybe sixty percent of quota carriers are hitting quota. Um, so inherent is that is forty percent aren't, and you know. But those, do they even care about the quota, or do they care about that that revenue number getting to a certain? I mean, they care about the revenue number. They care that there is enough headcount to make up the revenue number. And then depending on the stage and how well the company is doing, they care about the profitability of that spend. So, you know, magic number, people care. Quick ratio, people care. Well, okay. So I see, I was looking obviously at your many accomplishments, three-time academic, all Ivy. Like what happened in that fourth year? Where you didn't get that? Did you? Were you going through some stuff? Were you training too much? <laughs> Parents, you know the. Uh, you only nice. have five athletic records at Princeton. It's, 
It's nice that you think it's three out of four. Um, it's probably actually three out of 12 because oh, I'm no. a 12 season athlete. So I could, I would have been <laughs> in contention for all academic, all IV. Okay. You well, run in 12 different so ways. Really, okay. So I really, uh, yeah, I was at 25% hit rate, not 70. So how much do you think like your athletic upbringing translated into like sales success? I mean, I think it's like direct, it's a direct correlation. Yeah, direct. Like every ounce of energy I put into sport, I think I got out of it in career. So what was your mile time? Well, it was a, we were in the 1500, so it's converted, but my mile time was like, um, don't do math at me because I don't know what that means. 431. Yeah, that's good. So one of the things we do here as we like wrap this up and I'm, I'm, I feel like you're going to have a good one because you're an athlete and you definitely have a song. So we do two songs. One is like your go-to pump up song, whatever you're in your last lap, very end, like what's going to get you there. And then we have your sad song, but let's start with your absolute pump up huge deal today. Or you're, you know, you're competing. My honest answer would be like, listen to Enya. <laughs> I mean, there's something to be said for Enya. Okay. I've listened to that more recently than I like to admit. <laughs> I don't know why Enya comes so, up all the time. So, you know, Enya, highly pump up. Um, no, my... I do love me some Lady Gaga. Mm -hmm. So Million Reasons is a favorite these days. My my downer music is is probably like not listen to music, just go sit in silence and stew. Be yeah, be agitated <laughs> and sad. Um, but then maybe I too would listen. And then to Enya again. Yes. <laughs> Enya again. <laughs> She's a constant. I appreciate your time. I, I really appreciate you. This is fun. Yeah, absolutely.